Good morning, everybody. I trust that um, as you walked in this morning to, to church and saw the palm branches and the coats, those who brought coats, uh, there's a sense of anticipation. There's a sense of uh, what's happening. There's, there's something different. Something's going on. Something, you know, it's anticipation uh, for what is to come. And that was the whole point of Palm Sunday, that there's this sense of Easter is coming. And as we uh, set this day aside to uh, think about Jesus coming that day, we're also, as Joe prayed, starting the Holy Week where we uh, have a sense of anticipation of what God is going to do amongst us. And I pray that that be the case for you this Easter. Uh, we go through the, the calendar year. Every year we have Christmas, we have Easter. And sometimes it can get a bit monotonous. But I just pray that perhaps this Easter there'll be something fresh, something new that God would do an awakening in your mind or in your heart uh, that wasn't there before. And that there's an anticipation for that. There's an expectation, just like we walked in this morning. Hey, something's going to happen. Something's different. I pray that, hey, something's going to happen and something is different for you uh, in your life uh, this Easter. So this morning is Palm Sunday. I want to begin by just going straight into the scripture. Uh, Palm Sunday is recorded in all four Gospels. Um, Apart from uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus, there aren't many um, stories that all Gospel writers all uh, having their stories, but this is one of them. Palm Sunday is recognised by all four Gospel writers, but I'm choosing to read this morning from the Gospel of Luke because at the end of uh, Luke's Gospel account, uh, Jesus says some words, and those are the words that I want to kind of pick up on this morning. So from Luke chapter 19, After Jesus had said this, he went ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Beth. Page and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Interesting response. <laughs> Jesus isn't uh, saying you can go and acquire things and just say that the Lord needs it. (laughs) Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. Apparently that was enough. They brought it to Jesus, threw their coats on the colt and put it on Jesus. I put Jesus on it, the donkey. As he went along, People spread their coats on the road. And when they came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, a whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Oops. I tell you, he replied, 
If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And then on to verse 44. You did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. I want to start with a, a question. Have you ever tried to get somebody's attention and it hasn't quite worked? You might have tried to make an entrance or you might have tried to say something. I want to start with a clip this morning from one of the greatest movies of all time. It's probably on everyone's top ten list. Of course, I'm talking about The Three Amigos. <laughs> Classic movie of where one of the characters, Steve Martin, tries to get the attention of his colleagues when they're trying to get their costumes uh, to break in to get their costumes. I'm going to hand over Dave. You know what's going to happen now? You're going to go home to your partner or to your children, and when you want their attention, look up here, look up here. <laughs> now I begin like that. It's a bit of a bit of fun, trying to get attention, but it didn't work. Palm Sunday was the complete and utter opposite. For on this day, Jesus was making a statement. He was coming into Jerusalem, and all eyes were on him. There were huge crowds. It was a massive spectacle. And all eyes were on Jesus. Now, I can say all eyes because this was the time of the Jewish um, Passover festival where crowds and crowds of people from the surrounding regions, from the countryside, from the villages, would come into Jerusalem for the festival of festivals. Now, this was the big one. In fact, one expert says that at this time it was estimated that over two million people uh, made the journey into the city just for the festival. So all eyes were on Jesus. And this was before technology. There were no tweets. There were no Facebook posts or events. It was all word of mouth because people were so impressed by the miracles and the work and the ministry that Jesus was doing and now he's coming into the city and word of mouth spread and there were crowds and crowds and crowds of people lining the road as Jesus rides into the town. So all eyes were on him. And so it's the time of Passover. 
Now, Passover is a festival where the Jewish people remembered when they were slaves in Egypt that God showed up in their midst and in a miraculous way, he set them free from the bondage of slavery. So Passover celebrates the fact that God showed up and in a miraculous way saved them from the bondage of slavery. So it's no coincidence then that this day, Passover, Jesus shows up and does something for the people that they couldn't do themselves. In a miraculous way, in a week's time, he saves them and he saves you and I. Um, I heard of a, a child who was um, homesick one day, so he couldn't go to church. So his mum stayed home with him and the dad went off to church and he came back with a palm branch. And the son says, oh, dad, what's, what's the palm branch for? And the dad says, oh, it's Palm Sunday. It's, we celebrated the fact that Jesus came into the city and um, yeah, rode in on a donkey and, and came into the city. And the son says, oh, great. The one day I'm homesick is the one day Jesus actually shows up. <laughs> well, of course, Jesus did show up that day. And what a spectacle it was. He didn't show up by invitation, not out of a request from a king or a high authority. It wasn't by chance. He just so happened to be passing that day. But because this was actually the climax of his earthly ministry. All of his ministry before this was speaking of the kingdom, declaring who he was and and preparing people for what is actually working towards the climax, the pinnacle, is actually entering into Jerusalem and going onto the cross and dying in our place. So no chance. This is Jesus showing up on purpose with a story to tell. So what does Palm Sunday teach us about Jesus and what does Palm Sunday teach us about ourselves? Well, firstly, it shows how courageous Jesus actually was. As I said before now, Jesus' ministry was mainly uh, in the countrysides and villages, Judea, Samaria, um, Galilee. And Jesus made some claims about being God and the Pharisees didn't like it all that much. And And the religious leaders were trying to plot to kill him. And so when you're in the countryside, you can easily retreat across a lake or up a mountain or go to the next village and easily uh, get out of the way. But Jesus enters into enemy territory, if you like, where the Pharisees and the religious leaders are actually waiting and plotting, how can we get rid of this Jesus? And rather than making them come to find him, Jesus makes his way into the city, into the hands of those plotting to kill him. And of course, Jesus knew this. He had predicted it and he had told his disciples that the Son of Man must come and suffer and die and on the third day be raised to life. So for Jesus, we've got the the road out here in the corridor. 
For Jesus, at the end of that road, stood the cross. At the end of that road, stood the end of his life. At the end of that road, stood much suffering, pain, grief, betrayal, beatings, abandonment by his friends, and yet Jesus still comes because of his love for you and for me. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was told at the end of this road, if I walked out of this building, there I would find the end of my time had come, I don't know, I'd be running the other way. <laughs> You'd probably, probably feel the same, same as me. And yet, Jesus courageously looked death in the face, and for the sake of you and me, Jesus shows up and with great courage heads towards the cross in order that we might be saved, even though it was hard, even though it was painful, even though it was death. Because without it, all of humanity would be left drowning in bondage and sin without a saviour. Oh, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Secondly, Palm Sunday actually proves that Jesus did in fact claim to be the Messiah. Messiah was the promised uh, king that was going to come, uh, that had been prophesied about. And some uh, sceptics would say, well, Jesus never actually said, I am the Messiah. Now, there's plenty of uh, places in scripture where Jesus would either cite um, uh, the Old Testament or um, Peter declares that he's the Messiah um, or all, all of these other things. So he does actually, in a roundabout way, say that he is Lord, but he doesn't actually ever say it. But here is another way of actually explicitly saying it without saying it. Firstly, there's the people's chants. Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, the, all of these uh, shouts, these chants, these cheers were messianic in nature they were associated with the long-awaited king. They were going to be declared uh, when the Messiah came. And this is why the Pharisees said to the disciples, rebuke your disciples, because they're actually saying that you're the Messiah by saying Hosanna. Okay? So, so the Pharisees said, hey, that's blasphemy. You have to tell them to stop saying that you're the Messiah by saying Hosanna. See, if those phrases didn't cause offence to the Pharisees, then they wouldn't have had a problem with it. But they had a huge problem with it. And what was Jesus' response? Oh, yeah, good point. I see the problem. Sorry. Hey, shush, guys. <laughs> no. If these disciples are silent, the rocks will shout out. In other words, he is declaring, no, this is true. I am who I am, and you cannot even stop it from happening. It cannot be controlled by human hands or ideas. This is the plan of God, and it is going to happen. So even if these people were silent, all creation would cry out, because it's, it's the plan of God. And there's also the way Jesus came into the town. This is a fulfilment of a messianic prophecy as well. Jesus never rode anywhere. He normally walked. So this is a different occasion. In Zechariah 9, it says, 
Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus comes lowly on a donkey. Now, there's significance in that as well, because a donkey represented peace. If Jesus had rode into Jerusalem that day on a horse, he would have been declaring war. But Jesus comes on a donkey, and so he declares that he is coming in peace, and he rides in as the prince of peace. There's no horse, so there will be no war apart from the war that Jesus wages on sin and death. There will be no spilt blood apart from his very own. There will be no death apart from when he gives up his own life as a ransom for many. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And thirdly, and this is what I want to kind of focus on this morning, is an observation about the crowd. And this is relatable to you and me because the crowd were like you and me. They were everyday people who had uh, come into the city. They weren't the, the high authorities. They were the same crowd that who on Sunday shouted, Hosanna, go Jesus, yes, Hosanna. Jesus, you're the one, awesome. Five days later on Friday, it's the same crowd who are shouting, crucify him. The very same people. There's no uh, roster system for the crowd that day. It wasn't a different set of people. It wasn't a renter crowd. The people that were lining the streets, who were shouting Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the guy. Hallelujah. Five days later, shaking their fists, crucify him. Crucify him. What happened? Why did they turn on Jesus? Why the change of heart? You see, the people were expecting, they were hoping, and they were assuming that the coming king, the long awaited Messiah, would rid the city of the Roman occupation and restore them back to the glory days. Ah, Israel with an earthly king, a nation, rule and reign. And this king would conquer our enemies and put things back to how they were and what we are waiting for. That was what they were expecting and hoping Jesus to do. So when they're shouting Hosanna, they're expecting Jesus, this Messiah, to come in and actually rid Jerusalem of the Romans uh, establish Israel again as the nation in that place and have Jesus as their earthly king. Uh, this is why in, uh, when they're on the road and they're shouting at Hosanna, they're actually reciting a psalm. This psalm was spoken uh, when a king would be heading out to battle or when the king would be coming back uh, and he was victorious. So Psalm 18, Lord, save us. Anyone know what that means? Translated, Hosanna. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
from the house of the Lord we bless you. And this is actually what they're shouting on the side of the road. And so what they're declaring is just like in the old times when the king would go out into battle. Here comes our king. He's going to come in and he's going to have a battle and he's going to be victorious over our enemies. So they're saying, you are our conquering king. You reign over our enemies. Hail our conquering king. Little did they know that Jesus was in fact a conquering king. But not in the way that they expected. See, Jesus came to conquer and win a much more important battle. He came to conquer sin and death once and for all. Oh, death, where is your sting? Our resurrected king has rendered you defeated. Hail the victorious king. Heard a story of a, uh, a child who was extremely allergic to bees. And if he got stung, it was likely that he would be uh, possibly die or close to death. And he was in a car with his dad. And a bee somehow came into the car. And the child was, was just terrified because if he got stung, this, would, this might mean his end. And the dad, in a quick moment, just grabbed the bee and the bee was buzzing around inside of his fist. And the dad went, ah! And the bee came out again. And the child, again, was just fearful and so anxious and so worried. Ah, oh, this bee's going to get him. And the dad said, son, it's okay. And he handed out, held out his palm. Look at this. The sting of the bee is in my hand. You no longer have to fear the bee. I've taken its sting. I've taken it for you. And that's precisely what Jesus is coming to do as conquering king, is to take the sting for us. The sting of death no longer has any right over us. So he came to be victorious and be raised to life, and he reigns on high as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not just for a particular people at a particular time, but for all people, for all eternity, and that includes me, and it includes you. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So the cheers went from Hosanna to crucify him. Why? You see, the people had an understanding, a self-understanding, a perception, an idea about what a saviour should do and what salvation looks like. So the people wanted salvation from the Romans. They wanted a saviour who would restore the nation. And then what's the first thing Jesus does when he actually enters into the city? Anyone know? He goes and cleanses the temple. And people go, hang on a minute. We're, we're restoring things back to how they were. We need the temple. We need the sacrifice system. What's going on here? And then he says things like, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Hmm. That doesn't feel like you're going to get rid of Caesar. And then he says, I've come not to be served, but to serve. And he says things like, love your enemies. What? No, as Messiah, you're supposed to like trounce them, <laughs> beat them up, get rid of them. What do you mean love your enemies? 
And then, of course, there's his chance. He's there before the authorities, being questioned before his death. Here's your chance to do your thing. And he hardly says a word. So people's agendas weren't being actualized, And they had a problem with this. And so they go, crucify him. Get rid of him. I was trying to think of a, a modern example of this. And I was thinking, you know, everyone has a sporting team that they, well, most people have a sporting team that they really root for. And what happens when a sporting team is not doing very well? People want their team to win. They want them to be conquering, (laughs) to be victorious. And when their team's not doing that, they sack the coach, don't they? (laughs) It's normally the first thing to go. Get rid of the coach because he's not performing. Perhaps get rid of a couple of the players because they're not performing. We want them to win and if they're not winning, then we'll just get rid of them and we'll replace them with someone who's actually going to do what we want them to do, make our team win. That's precisely what the crowd is doing here. They want Jesus to do something for them and when he doesn't do what they want him to do, they say, let's get rid of him and let's try and replace Jesus with something or someone who is actually going to do what we want. See, Jesus wasn't working for their set-up ideologies. He wasn't doing what he wanted them to do. So the people got rid of him. Now, we might criticise the crowd for shouting crucify him. We've got hindsight. But here's the thing. We actually do exactly the same thing. See, we want a Jesus who will make my life comfortable. We want a Jesus who will just remove pain. We want a Jesus who I can call on when it's convenient for me. We want a saviour who will save me but will not require me to live for him. We want a saviour who will answer our prayers right now without delay. We want a saviour who gets us to heaven but doesn't ask me to change anything about my character. We want a saviour who we can make sense of in our minds and can be rationalised. We want a saviour who we can call on in times of need, but the rest of my life I can go on enjoying sin in my life. We want a saviour who is happy with the amount of money that I spend upon myself. See, when we find ourselves saying, crucify him, sack him, he isn't performing, maybe we're actually asking Jesus to be something he never intended to be. Jesus never intended to be any of these things. Jesus never intended to come and just be about me, my wants, my needs, my self-desires, making me right. Jesus came to save us from our sin. Jesus came to set about making a kingdom of God. 
to be king. So if we ever find ourselves giving up on Jesus, or saying he's not doing it for me, what are we actually asking of Jesus? What are we asking him to be? And there's something profound as we look at these two phrases that the people shout. Um, I just mentioned it before, so I was going to ask you the question so I don't have to ask you it now. What does Hosanna mean? It means, Lord, save us. Or, we beseech thee to save us now. So, on Sunday they're saying, save us. On Friday they're saying, crucify him. Save us, crucify him. Save us, crucify him. Anyone ever thought that they're actually saying the same thing? Save us, crucify him. Because in order to be saved, he must die. There's no other way to be saved. We are completely powerless and unable to save ourselves. We need a saviour to come and take our place and do the work for us. And so in order to be saved, in order to be hosannaed, Jesus has to be crucified. Just like that first Passover where the blood of the lamb is slain, Jesus is the lamb that is slain for us. And so the scriptures say the people started with praise, but they ended with sorrow. Just wanted to just reflect on that. Do you ever find in your own life that you once had much praise, that there was a time when you joined in with the shouts of Hosanna, but now the praise has stopped? Now the praise has stopped. As I reflected on my life, and particularly those who have been in my life, I've seen this countless times where young people with full love for the Lord would do anything for him, would shout Hosanna, and yet something's happened and now the praise has stopped. What's going on? What's happening in our lives where we can go from praise to silence? Stop and think about that for a moment. See, I often think it's because people have wanted something in their life that perhaps is outside of God's will for them. God's plan for them. God's set up uh, order of what is good for humanity. And when Jesus doesn't necessarily be okay with that, they throw him out because the desire to go after what they want in their life is greater than the desire to go after Jesus. I think what a tragedy. What a tragedy. This is why 
Jesus says at the end, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. Everyone wants peace in their life. Everyone wants peace. And here it is. It's Jesus coming in, showing up in your life. And yet it was hidden from their eyes because they didn't recognise the time of God's coming to them. What a tragic thing to see Jesus and not recognise him as your saviour. To know of Jesus but not have him come into your life and completely transform it from the inside out. What a tragedy. See, Jesus comes into our brokenness, comes into our confusion. He comes into our misconceptions of our understanding of him. He comes into our pain and he reminds us that he came to enter into this mess called life, lowly on a donkey, not forcing his way in, but waiting for us to open up the gates of our hearts so that he might enter in, that he might do a work in us, that he might transform our lives. Friends, if your praises have stopped, if your praises have stopped, if you found yourself giving up on Jesus, know that he came not to be some magical genie, not come to just simply make your life comfortable, but he came to win your heart. He came to win your heart and to remove everything that would cause a distance between you and God. And that's why he rode in that day on the donkey. I heard a story of an old retired couple who um, had retired and over the road from them, a newlywed couple had moved into the street. And the old lady looked out of her window and she noticed that the washing on the line of the newlywed couple was dirty. And she sort of complained to her husband. She said, oh, their washing is very dirty. And sort of the next day came down, same thing again. Oh, that young wife doesn't know how to use the washing machine or something like that. Their clothes are very dirty. That not doing a proper job of washing their clothes. This happened for a number of weeks until one morning something different happened. The lady came down, she looked out of her window. Oh, the clothes are clean. And the husband said, yes, dear, that was me. I came down this morning and I washed the windows. <laughs> you see... Jesus has come to wipe the windows of our hearts clean so that we might actually see him for who he really is. He's come to wipe the windows of our hearts clean so that we might see him for who he really is, not who we want him to be. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm going to invite the music team up. It says here that as Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. 
as Jesus looks upon you and your life, what is Jesus' expression in his face towards you this morning? And what is our understanding of what Jesus has done for us? We're going to sing a song. And in the chorus it says, I can see you now. I can see the love in your eyes, laying yourself down. And I'll just encourage you this morning. Do you think about what was shared? Has the have the praises stopped? Perhaps this Sunday and this Easter is an opportunity for your windows to be wiped clean and again see Jesus for what he has done for you. And as you sing this song, you could sing it as a prayer. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. He came to save you. He came to set you right. He came to remove everything that could ever be in your life that causes a distance between that embrace of God. I encourage you as you stand to sing now, sing this song as a prayer and as an acknowledgement perhaps, perhaps I've set up some self-appointed Jesuses in my life. Perhaps one of the reasons why I'm so upset is that he hasn't been performing what I've been trying to get him to do, but that isn't actually what Jesus ever came to do. And to lay ourselves down, lay our coats down before him, hail him as our king, as the one who has come to save us. Let's stand and sing.